Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're looking at Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14 this morning. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, last week we read about how Paul tells the saints in the churches of Galatia that all stand under the curse. For all have broken the law of God. Right? All have sinned. If you have broken one of God's commandments, you have effectively right, broken them all. And so he tells them that no one who attempts to live by the law as a matter of righteousness Right, we'll find life in it. Because the law's standard is what? It's perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. Which, because of sin, none are able to render. And so, none shall find life in the law. But rather, what you will find is the penalty for sin, which is, is death. And eternal death. And so, the natural response would be, well, how then do we find the favor of God? Right? How do we get out from underneath this curse? Right? How do we escape the curse? How do we get away from death and find life if we are under this curse and we can do nothing within ourselves to rid ourselves of the curse? And it's here in these two verses, in verse 13 and 14, that, that Paul answers then that inquiry. And we can summarize the answer with one word, which is really atonement. Right, atonement. Joel Beakey, in his Reformed Systematic Theology book, Volume 2, says that Hebrew word translated as make atonement means to appease the wrath of an offended party by a gift that rectifies an injustice done in order to restore a broken relationship. And so if we if we want the wrath of God removed, if we no longer want to be underneath the curse, if we want reconciliation with God, it comes one way and one way only, Paul says, and that is by atonement. Right? By atonement. In the New Testament, we have another word that has a common meaning in the Greek, propitiation. Okay? And we have an example of that atonement or propitiation in the Old Testament between Men and men. Genesis 32 is a great example of this. If you remember there, you read of Esau and 400 men coming to meet his brother Jacob. And Jacob is afraid. Right? He thinks his brother is going to come in wrath and, and perhaps kill him. And so we're told that Jacob uh, offers up to his brother gifts. Right? He sends gifts ahead of his brother's uh, arrival. And those gifts, we're told in Genesis 32, verse 14, are 200 female goats, 
20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Right? He instructed his servants to go, hurry, give this to my brother as a present. And then we're told later in verse 20 that Jacob says to himself that he did this hoping that he would appease his brother. Right? He wanted to make atonement to his brother. Right? He wanted to appease the wrath of his brother and bring about reconciliation. And so there we have a, 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 an example of it between man and man in Scripture. But we also see this in Scripture with, with God and man, don't we? Right? It was God Himself who established the Old Covenant sacrificial system for the very purpose of making atonement for sin. This is why He anointed right, priests who were to offer to Him a, a gift to appease His wrath because of the sin of the people. But remember that those gifts only quieted the anger of God but for a time. It was temporary appeasements. And the book of Hebrews tells us, likewise, those gifts did what? They only outwardly cleansed the people. It only ceremonially made them clean. It could not, uh, the author of Hebrews, Paul, says it could not cleanse the conscience of the worshiper before God. Right? Why? Well, because ultimately, those gifts were typological. Right? The gifts pointed forward towards the once and for all sacrifice, but the gifts were not Christ Himself. They were bulls and goats. They weren't Christ. They pointed forward towards Christ. But what those sacrifices did teach the Israelites was, was the holiness of God. It taught them about the justice of God. It taught them about what, what sin required. Right, what the penalty for sin was. Right, it also taught them, as they have to offer this year after year after year, that what they needed was something greater. What they needed was something better. What they needed was something different than the blood of bulls and goats. Right, what they needed was someone or something that could remove the penalty or the stain of sin for good. Right, someone or something that could remove the curse for good. And Paul tells us that's what Christ has come to do. That's what Christ has come to do. The breaking of the law brought about with it a penal sanction. And that was a just penal sanction, wasn't it? It was a just penal sanction. There was a, a penalty that was owed for law breaking. Our dilemma, your dilemma, my dilemma is that none of us can satisfy what is owed. That no matter how many things we we can scrounge up in our house together. We can never present a gift so good to God that He would turn His wrath aside from us and, and shine down His favor upon us. No amount of animal sacrifice could do. But what Paul goes on then to describe in our text today is not what we did, but what God did for us in order that that penalty might be paid. He describes what God did so that the curse would be removed. He describes what God did so that God and man may be reconciled once more. And what did God do? He sent His Son to make atonement for sin. He sent Christ His Son to be the once and for all sacrifice. That Christ in the flesh would, would bear the penalty of man as man. It was Christ then who turned away God's anger towards us. It was Christ who by His work 
removes the curse for all who believed. But how did he do it? How did he do it? How was he able to do that? This leads us to our first point this morning then, which we want to call how Christ redeemed us. How Christ redeemed us. Look with me once more at verse 13, please. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Well, what does that mean? Well, it might be good to first start with, well, what does redeemed mean to begin with? He redeemed us from the curse. Well, what does redeem mean? Well, redeem means to, to buy. It means to purchase. It means to ransom. And so he, re- he, he bought us. right? He made payment to someone for us. Who did he make that payment to? Now, for some people throughout history, they would say he made that payment to Satan. Right? He, he, had, he had to buy us back from the devil. Now, it's true that, that we come into this world as captives of the devil. But remember, brothers and sisters, the devil is only a minister of God. And when I say minister, I'm servant. Right? He serves God's purposes. Right? He inflicts punishment upon the ungodly. But it was God who we sinned against. It was God who we have offended. It is God who we have injured. It is God's law that we have broken. Right? The God who created both angels and men. And so it's, it's God that payment must be made to. Right? And nobody else. And for it to be paid, what does Paul declare Christ did? Right? We know it was paid. We know Christ paid it. But how did He pay it? Well, Paul tells us He became a curse. Right? He became a curse. How does He become a curse? Well, by assuming our nature, the likeness of sinful flesh, and having the guilt of our sin placed upon Him, and by taking upon Himself the punishment and the penalty that was due to us for our sin. Luther says that what this means is that Christ is numbered as a sinner who hath and carrieth the sin of Paul, who was a blasphemer and persecutor, of Peter who denied Him, of David who was an adulterer and a murderer, and briefly, who hath and beareth all the sins of all men in His body, but not that He Himself was guilty of any, but that He received them, being committed or done by us, and they were laid upon His own body, that He might make satisfaction for them with His own blood. Right? That's the same thing that Paul says in a much shorter way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, He that is God, the Father, made Him that is Christ to be sin who knew no sin. Right? That's what it means then to be, to be made a curse, for Christ to be made a curse. Now, brothers and sisters, what I want us to see is something that's greatly astonishing, though, is, is who made Him be this curse? Right? Who made him to be this curse? Who made him to be sin who knew no, who knew no sin? It was his own father. Right? God the Father made his son to be sin who knew no sin. And in that, I want us to stand in awe and amazement. Right? The love of God the Father for you. Right? That he would put his own son to death for you. That he would sentence him to die for you. We 
we know as parents, oftentimes the, the pain that you feel in, in punishing your children, right? You, you know it's what you got to do. It's the best thing to do. But we don't take joy in doing it, do we? But what are we told about when God punished the son? We're told that he delighted in punishing his own son. That he delighted, Isaiah 53 tells us, in crushing him. Now, before we start thinking heretical ways, right? what does that mean? Well, God the Father does not take pleasure in punishing His Son. What He delights in is what that punishment is going to end in. Right? He's looking towards the end. What is this punishment going to accomplish? And it's that that He delights in because what it will accomplish is the redemption of God's people. Right? That's what it will accomplish. But now, brothers and sisters, let us stop for a minute and let us consider, though, what it being made a curse consisted of. Right? What being made a curse consisted of? Because we overlook that fact far too much. And you want to know how we know that we overlook that fact far too much? Because we don't care enough about our sin. Our sin doesn't grieve us enough. Our sin doesn't affect us enough. It doesn't pierce our souls hard enough. Right? Because too often what you find, and perhaps it's true of you, you get more angry when you miss your exit on the expressway than you do over your sin. You get more angry over turning right and not left than you do over your sin. You get more angry when someone steals your parking space before you get it than you do over your own sin. But why is that? It's because we never take the time and stop and consider what Christ endured. Apart from us, not for us, but just think about what Christ endured, what He suffered, what He went through. Not just the benefits that we receive because of it, but stop and consider what He went through. What He went through for you and I. Because think about it, if someone murdered your mother, your father, if someone murdered your husband and wife, if someone murdered your son or your daughter, you would despise that person, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want a thing to do with them. You would say, keep them away. It would be hard probably for you even to look up and glance at that person. You would be so disgusted with them. And yet, brothers and sisters, if sin and your sin is the reason that Christ endured all that He did, how can we not despise sin in the same way? How can we not despise our sin in the same way? One reason is because we never stop and think about it. We don't think about what, what Christ being cursed consisted of. One of the things that it consisted of then is that Christ must suffer in the body. Right? Remember, we are, we are body-soul. We sin body-soul. Right? Our punishment, body-soul. And so Christ had to suffer in His body. He had to suffer in His body. And Christ's bodily sufferings were great, weren't they? Right? We can't go through them all, but we'll look at some in brief. But ultimately, his, his suffering in the body began when He took upon Himself the likeness of sinful flesh. Okay? But we'll just push forward to, towards the end of his life. Think about all that he went through in the body. Right? He, was, he was beaten. He was spat upon. He was whipped. He was scourged. He had a, 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 
crown of thorns driven into his head. Right? He was made to, to feel the brunt and the weight of the cross as he carried it to its final destination. And then he was crucified. And if you think about his crucifixion, right, the, 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 the cross lay on the ground. Christ be stretched upon the cross. They pull His limbs as far as they can go and they drive nails into His hands and into His feet. And then they lift that cross up and it goes into the earth in its final place. And think about it as it bounces into that hole. All that pressure put upon His, his hands and His arms and His body. Think about how his, his hands and His arms are bearing all of the weight as He hangs upon the cross and that suffering does not cease until He breathes His last breath. And just think about the, the sufferings of Christ's body. If we just consider those, how can we not depart with all sin forever? How can we not depart with all sin forever? And yet, understand this, that His suffering in the body paled in comparison to the suffering of His soul. The sufferings of His soul were far greater than the sufferings of His body. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, as Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. I want you to think about that. There was a, a great heaviness that weighed upon the soul of Christ. Luke, in his Gospel, tells us that the inward agony that Christ experienced was so great that He sweated out droplets of blood. Why such agony? Why such fear? Well, because Christ was well aware of what He must endure. He was well aware of what He must endure. He knew that He was to drink the cup of His Father's wrath in full. And everything within Christ during that time, every thought was taken up in that. That He must drink the cup of wrath in full. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, in considering the suffering of Christ, said this, if Christ had stood in His own righteousness, He would not have feared. But being invested with and appearing in our sins, He was afraid. Christ knew that soon His Father was going to be an all-consuming fire to Him. And that He would unload the greatness of His anger and wrath upon His Son. It was this wrath then that Christ wrestled with inside of Himself during this time. Yet knowing that this is why He came to die. Right? For the bride. And yet He is constrained with thoughts of terror. Taken up with them. Suffering seized Him. And that suffering did not cease until He committed His Spirit to His Father and it went up to be with Him in the air. But let us see, brothers and sisters, Christ suffered in the flesh so that we might escape that suffering. Right? Christ suffered in the soul so that our souls might be comforted in Christ. See then the greatness of your sin. What excuse do any of us have for it? What excuse is there for your sin? And so the next time that any one of us here sins, 
Let us ask ourselves this. How can I delight and take pleasure in those things that cause my Savior to suffer so? Because that's what you're doing. When you're sinning, you're taking pleasure and delight in the very things that kill the Son of God. You want to understand the heinousness of sin. You want to understand what it does. You want to understand what it takes to deal with it. Take yourself back to Calvary. Continue to look at the cross. We must continue to do this more often. We must understand the burden that Christ bore and never forget it. He eased your soul. He brought you relief. He grants you comfort of soul by being burdened with your sin. And then, brothers and sisters, may we be moved then by thoughts of, of Christ's love for us then. Knowing that ultimately, right, Christ bore this penalty not because He was forced to, but because He voluntarily chose to. Right in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one will take my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And so how can your love not grow radically for the Savior? as we understand His love for us and how He expressed and showed that love. right? How can we not deny ourselves, take up the cross, follow Him every single day, seeing what He did for us? And that's what Scripture says, right? He did it for us. So much for the, the belief that the atonement is, is for all people. For the whole world without distinction. No, Paul says it was for us. Right, Paul's making a distinction between those who seek to be justified by the law, right, those who will forever remain under the curse because of the hardness of their hearts and the rejection of their son, right, the ransom that Christ paid, the death that He died, the, the sin that He bore was not for them, Paul says, but it was for us. Right? It was for us. For the elect, for those chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. For those whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life before the world ever was. And yet how it ought to then humble us as we think about this. As we, as we consider that reality that we did not deserve any of this. That every single one of us are, are wretched sinners as we sit here today. And yet, Christ took pity on us. He showed mercy on us. Simply because it was His desire to do so. And nothing else. Because, brothers and sisters, Christ was not the criminal. Christ was not the one who deserved this punishment. You and I did. We are the criminals. We are the one who deserved the public shame. We are the one who deserved the the public embarrassment. Not Christ. This is why, though, we have this Old Testament quotation in verse 13, though, that Paul uses, when he says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This comes from Deuteronomy 21. If you'd like to, turn with me over there. In Deuteronomy chapter 21. Look at verses 22 and 23. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. There we read, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain there all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. 
You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Right? A person was hung to expose their crime to all. So that it might be a, a public shame of that person. A person was hung on a tree to, to say to everyone who's seen it, this person was cursed by God. He was under God's curse. Do you see why the cross was a stumbling block then to the Jews? Do you see why? They could not believe that their Messiah would be hung upon a cross. Because if He was, what that meant was He was cursed by God. And they would have none of it. But isn't it as if the, the apostles understood that? The apostles knew that. Which is why so often when they declare the Gospel, don't they talk about Christ being hung on a tree? Think about First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. You see, they were not ashamed of it. They did not hide that fact. They gloried in it. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe, right? to the Jew and to the Gentile. And so, brothers and sisters, we ought to thank God that He was hung upon the tree. right? Because it's upon that tree that, that He became the curse for you and I, that He took that curse away, that He brought about reconciliation between God and man which can never be lost again. It is there that He made atonement for sin. Which means what? Remember what we talked about in the beginning. He made atonement. That He offered Himself up as a gift to appease the wrath of God for the injustice that we committed in order that reconciliation might be had. That's what Christ did. But for what purpose did He do it? What purpose did He do it? Look with me at at verse 14. This tells us of the purpose. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This leads us to our second and our final point in this morning, which we'll call the, the purpose for the ransom. The purpose for the ransom. Christ was treated as a a cursed man by men. And Christ was treated as a cursed man by the justice of God. Ultimately, why? So that we might receive blessing. So that we might be blessed. He did it and endured all of this so that the the promise of the covenant of grace made to Abraham in Genesis 12.3 would come to fruition. That through faith in Christ, all of the spiritual seed of Abraham would have forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Right? What was promised to Abraham in the coming of Christ has become a reality. Yes, from all of eternity we had been chosen. But brothers and sisters, we must see that in time the curse had to be dealt with. Right? We needed to be delivered from it in the, in the course of space and time. Right? We needed deliverance from sin. We need deliverance from death. Deliverance from the domain of darkness. Deliverance from the tyranny of the devil who held sway over our hearts. We need to see that the curse stood in the way. It was a, a blockade, an obstacle to our enjoyment, to every blessing that God was going to bless us with in Christ. But the only way to, to open that door to those blessings was for God to not spare His Son. 
right? but send Him for us. And so this ultimately is Paul's point throughout this epistle. Right? That none of this has to do with your works. Right? All of it is by grace and through faith in Christ. Right? Every spiritual blessing we receive under the heavens only comes through Christ. But it means for us that in order to receive them, you have to get into Christ. You have to get into Christ. Which means what? You have to be united to Christ. How do you become united to Christ? Only through faith in Christ. Right? It's not circumcision. It's not law-keeping. It's faith. It's only then that, that Christ, we can say, is, has lifted the curse off of us, becoming a curse for us. What Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 is true for us all. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We all at one time were under the wrath of God. Right? We all at one time stood condemned. But Christ has brought us from, from death to life. And think about the death we deserved. Have you ever stopped and thought about the death we deserve? That eternal death? Why is it eternal? Oftentimes you'll hear, well, you sinned against an eternal God, so the punishment kind of has to fit the crime. But it's going to be eternal. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever end. Why? Because ultimately... No sinner can do anything enough to satisfy it. Right? If you could, it could end after one year, 50 years, 100 years, a billion years. But the fact of the matter is, is that no sinner has the ability to ever satisfy the punishment that is due. That's why it will be for all of eternity. But that ought to amaze us then as we consider what Christ did and what Christ accomplished where you and I could not do. Right? That we, we could not satisfy the wrath of God. Even for eternity we cannot. And yet, Christ in the space of three hours did what you and I could never do. And He did it without sinning once. You and I stub our toe and we sin with what comes out of our mouth, don't we? Christ endured the wrath of man and the wrath of God and never sinned once, whether inwardly or outwardly. I mean, think about what He endured. He, he was forsaken by His Father. What we mean by that is in the sense that as He hung upon the, the tree, not one beam of His Father's love shone through to Him that whole time. Right As Christ hung upon the cross, there was no break. There was no time out. The affliction he felt just kept coming and coming and coming with no rest. He felt no tender warmth or care from his father through it all. And yet during it, he did not sin even once. And maintained his faith throughout. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Incredible if you think about it. That as his father was killing him, he continued trusting in the promises of God. It ought to 
cause probably all of us shame then when we think about our, the weakness of our own faith, the instability of our own faith, how our own faith wavers so much when we don't get what we want, when we want, in the manner we want, in the amount we want. As soon as trouble hits, we forget all of God's promises. Remember what Christ did though. Right? Never stop trusting in the promises of God. Right? Perfect faith even when He's being killed by His Father. You too, don't forget the promises. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says, we are persecuted but not forsaken. Don't forget that in your own life that, that Christ was forsaken by His Father so that you and I would never be. Right? Remember what God says to Abram in Genesis 15. He says, Abram, fear not. I am your shield. Thy exceedingly great reward. That's the, the blessing that Christ has won for us. Knowledge of that. Enjoyment of that. To be able to live, right? Not with a spirit of fear, but now a spirit of freedom. Right? We can live knowing there is no more condemnation for those in Christ. That God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let us see then that this is also the blessing that Christ has won for us. The Spirit of adoption. right? The Spirit of adoption. Uh, this, this Holy Spirit was promised throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 44, verse 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring and My blessings upon your descendants. Here He's talking about spiritual descendants, not physical ones. In Joel 2.28, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Now here's the blessing that Christ has won for us that Paul's talking about here in verse 14. Right? We have the Spirit now who indwells us. Right? Who has, who has opened up the, the floodgates to all of God's promises and he, and he applies them to us. He enables us to be able to approach God in boldness and prayer. He enables us and strengthens us to be killing sin every day. Right? He is the Spirit of grace and peace and power who, who dwells inside of every believer. And so see, brothers and sisters, that if you want to be uh, rich like Father Abraham, if you want to be blessed like Father Abraham, the only way to do it is through, is through Christ. Right? Is to, is to go to Christ. It's not through works. It's through Christ. Who blesses not with earthly riches, but he's talking about heavenly riches. Right? Remember, in Christ are hidden all of the spiritual truths and wisdom and, and, and judgments of God. Right? All of that lies in Christ. And if Christ is ours, then brothers and sisters, you and I should want for nothing because in Christ everything is ours. But if you do not have the Holy Spirit, I also want you to see that you have nothing. Or you have nothing because you are still in the flesh and Scripture tells us that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so if you are still in the flesh, let us see the, the need to lay aside that fleshly nature, to, to cast aside all pride in ourselves to forsake our, our sin and to cast ourselves upon Christ by faith. Knowing this, that God is angry with sin. God is angry with sin. It will be dealt with. He will vent His anger upon sin. 
It will either they'll be vented upon the sinner one day, that last day, or it has already been vented upon Christ who stood in your place. Which one shall it be for you? In knowing that, though, let us see the beauty of the cross. Let us see the beauty of Christ's work. Let us see the, the great exchange that took place upon the cross where our sin was imputed to Christ and His righteousness imputed to us. Right? Let us see in the cross that, that there Christ was accounted as guilty so that you and I might be accounted innocent before the throne of God. Right? Christ's conscience on the cross was troubled so that your conscience and mine can stand clear before God. Let us not then think much about suffering for Christ. Right? Let us not think much about suffering for Christ. Let's be quick to do it. For Christ in body and soul gave up Himself for us. So should we not in body and soul give up ourselves for Him? In worship, in devotion, in obedience. And be encouraged though that as you struggle in this world, as you deal with sin and temptation, as you deal with the with the schemes of the devil, as you deal with affliction in your life, remember that Christ knows the hearts of His people. Right? Because Christ has dealt with all the things that we deal with, and yet He sinned not. Which tells us that Christ knows our plight. And so, it's a command for us all to go to Christ then when we suffer. Go to Christ when we struggle. Go to Christ when we sin. Because He understands His people. And He is there as our high priest to hear us. And not just any high priest, but our merciful high priest right, who cares and who loves His people. One who has atoned for our sin, who, who stands before the Father and who lives to make intercession for you and I. And so may we all rest on Christ this day. But each of us then labor to know Christ all the more. Right? Know His person. Know His work. Know what He accomplished. Right? Labor to know His love for you. And then may it cause every single one of us to fear ever offending God again. Pray that God would make you more conformed to the image of His Son every day, for this is His will for you. Remembering that Christ became a curse for you and I, so that by faith, He would be our blessing. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for such words of, of grace and encouragement. Uh, we pray, Lord, that You would cause us, though, to, to remember Christ's work. Uh, remember what He endured. Uh, to never forget the burden that, that He carried upon His back for us. And may You cause us then to fear ever offending You again. Ever sinning against You again. Uh, may You stir within us a, a holy hatred then for all things that uh, oppose Your will. That uh, oppose uh, Your desire for Your people. Uh, may You give us a heart that loves the cross and loves Christ and loves His work and, and wants to share it and declare it to the world. And so, Lord, we come before You this day. We ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.